I'm so glad you're tuning in. It is my honour and privilege to actually minister the Word of God every single Sunday at JC Family. And it is my heart that we all grow together and go together and learn to love God more together and hopefully become a little bit more like Jesus. Today I'm going to talk about temples and towers, flawed foundations and missing ingredients. There you go. Are you ready? Temples and towers, flawed foundations and missing ingredients. Inside our heart is a desire to live beyond ourselves, to live as God designed. We are not to live as the center of our own universe. And you may be here this morning, you're like, oh, I don't know whether I agree with you. I don't know if I believe in all this Jesus and Bible stuff. And can I just say, that's okay. You don't have to. You are welcome here to come, explore, evaluate your faith, check things out and feel safe and comfortable in this place. We want you to feel that this is a safe place to question, to argue back. But I think we could all agree this morning, even if you weren't a Bible-believing Christian, even if you weren't a follower of Christ, you hadn't made that decision just yet, I think we can all agree that the most unhappy people we have met are the selfish people. I think we can all agree that when we find people who are living for self and only themselves, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much popularity they have, no matter how cool they seem to be on the outside, when you really dig down, some of the most unhappy people on the face of the earth are those who are living for themselves. Yet, alternatively, some of the happiest people, some of the people that live with peace and tranquility, some of the people that live with this sense of contentment, some of the people that live with this joy that overflows, they seem to be selfless people. They seem to be living for some something other than themselves. And it doesn't seem to matter whether they have a lot or a little, they have this peace and the contentment within their own life. So let me just share that this morning. I want to take everybody onto a journey where we live for somebody other than ourselves. And whether you're in here, whether you're watching from home, my prayer is that you would all join me on this journey. And if you want to know who lived like that, the best, the best example I can find in all of history is a man called Jesus Christ. He lived for everybody other than himself, even to the point of death. And so when I look to Jesus, I go, man, he seems to make sense of the world and the life which he lived seemed to count for something. And two odd thousand years later, it's still making a difference. So here we go. I'm going to do a quick recap. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking temples and towers. In week one, we simply looked at the temple being built and the tower being built. We said, one, God loved He loved the fact that Solomon was building a temple to bring people and bring his presence and connect them together. And God empowered that and he was all over that. The other one was being built out of selfish ambition and selfish motive. And God seemed to resist that and scattered their language. So that was the first one. Week two, we looked at Herod and Jesus. If you're here, we had the pictures of Jerusalem where Peter and I went in 2014. And we saw that Herod was a magnificent builder. He built some incredible structures around the world, or or particularly in that region of the world, and yet today those towers are crumbling and falling down. They're they're monuments to a time gone past. They're tourist attractions at best. Yet on the alternative, Jesus Christ invested himself into building a temple of the Holy Spirit. He invested himself into building the church. He invested himself into building the church. People And 2,000 years later, rather than it being a crumbling, destroyed mess, it's something that continues to grow and get bigger and stronger. And you beautiful people are a testament to what he was building. And we have experienced this love of Christ and what he built into our lives. That's a good point for an amen. All right. I'm not even playing. You guys just talk amongst yourselves. That's a good point for an amen. Let's practice. 
Just so you all know, I preach better when you amen. amen. I preach quicker when you amen. I'm like real excited when you guys are engaged. And when I sense you guys are falling asleep, I'm going to talk slow. <laughs> All right, week three. Man, come on, let's get a bit of response in here. It's far more fun when you're preaching to people. Who finds it more fun when you're preaching to people who are responsive? Who, who finds it more fun to be responsive? Great. Poke somebody in the chest, in the ribs next to you and say, be responsive. <clears throat> Good job. All right. And... Uh, Okay, maybe we should mitigate that. Riley, when I say that, I mean poke them gently and don't push your mum onto the floor. Great. Week three, here we go. Week three, flawed foundations. We said it wasn't just what you built, but what you built had to be built on a solid foundation. We said Jesus Christ is the solid foundation. His methods work. His life is what we use as a cornerstone to measure our life against. And we said this hurts are an incredible revealer of our motives and our foundations. And whenever we're hurt, rather than blaming the other person, we should just pull back a little bit and say, God, what is my motive in this situation? Why does this hurt so much in this situation? What are my foundations? Who am I actually building this for? All right, here we go. Week four. Week four. If last week was flawed foundations, this week is the missing ingredient. I like that. The missing ingredient. Who's ever baked a cake? Put your hand up if you've ever baked a cake. Who's ever baked a cake and reached to the end of baking the cake and, and realized that there's some still ingredients in the package that you didn't actually put into the mixture? Uh, if you're anything like me, when mechanical stuff happens, you know, I, I would sit down and I'd rebuild cars. And remember the old days when you had a carburetor and used to play around and tinker as a young man? And, and who's ever reached the point of putting something together again? You look around, there's still a bucket full of screws and you don't know where the screws came from. Anyone else ever done it? Like, I look at it and I'm like, I'm sure they came out of somewhere, but if you ask me where they came from, I've got no idea anymore. So let's just see how this thing will run. And uh, how many people know that it, it doesn't work well when there's some ingredients that are missing? My beautiful daughter happens to have the record in our household for baking apple crumble and custard. And so sometimes as we finish dinner, we'll look to Rachel, because she's the only one who still lives with us, and uh, we'll look to Rachel and we'll go, hey, how would you like to make apple crumble and custard? And she kind of, I think she's got a bit of a skim here, a bit of a scam going on. She uses it as a get out of going to bed early. So she's like, it'll, it'll be nearly her bedtime. She'll go, you want me to make apple crumble and custard? Who says no to that? So yeah, well, go for it. Yeah, go make it. We don't care if it's 11 o'clock. It's fine. Teachers will put up with you tomorrow. So off she goes to make the apple crumble. Anyway, one day she makes this and normally she does a great job it's brilliant like you taste it you're like man this is so good but this one particular night she made this apple crumble and custard and I walk through as all good dads do and you decide to do the taste test anyone you know just you can taste whatever you want it's great your wife's cooking taste it anyway and I walk through and I put the spoon in I took a big taste and I'm like Ooh. now normally she's real good but this one was like Ooh. I'm like what have you done she's like, I don't know well, I can have a taste. She has a taste and she also goes, Phew. and so we've got this whole thing going on. And we, you know, you kind of start evaluating well, what's the missing ingredient. You've got milk in there. Yep. I can see that it's liquidy. You've got some form of custard in there because it's yellow or, you know, whatever color you want to call that. It, we can see it's thickening up. So what's the missing ingredient? The missing ingredient was sugar. Thank you. And uh, custard without sugar, by the way, just for those who are wanting to try it, it's revolting. Don't try it. It's just awful. 
But I thought about this through the week. I thought, how many times do we have a missing ingredient in our life? Let me give you one more scenario this morning. Missing ingredient number three or four or 15, whichever one you're up to, was when I sent my beautiful wife, who's absolutely gorgeous and stunning in all ways, and I sent her to get me Are you ready? If you go to Zarafas, you have the best coffee ever and you can have white mocha Maasai. That's a real big cup. It's a Maasai. Mocha is the coffee part. White is the white chocolate. So white chocolate, mocha, Maasai. Three. Three words. Not difficult. Everyone say it with me. White mocha Maasai. Come on, let's do it again. White mocha Maasai. One more time. White Mocha Maasai, fantastic. Now you all know how to get my order right. <laughs> Great. Um, so I sent my wife and it was one of those days where we had to pull up and it was in a bit of a rush. She was going to go to the beach. I was going up the top of the mountain for prayer and I, you know, there was nowhere to park the motorhome. So I said, just run in and grab it. White Mocha Maasai, extra hot, no cream, extra shot. She went, that's too many words. I went, fine, let's boil it down. I said, White Mocha Maasai. Can you three? Everyone say three. All right, I love you, sweetheart. I will stop soon, I promise. This will go on really quick. And so imagine my shock and my confusion when she comes out. She gives me the big cup. She's got the Maasai. And I get to the top and I'm about to take a big drink of white mocha. And it's just white. It's just white hot chocolate. There's no mocha. The mocha is missing. The, if you're, who's a coffee drinker? You, you, you can't have coffee... It's, I know, I know, you cannot have coffee without coffee. It's not a coffee without coffee. And so I'm drinking this and I'm like, there is a missing ingredient here and it's imperative to have a coffee with coffee. Otherwise, it's just white hot chocolate, which, by the way, is also kind of gross. So I want to talk to you this morning about the missing ingredient because I think when I look across the church, you ready? We're getting to this point. When I look across the church, I think sometimes there's a missing ingredient. I think sometimes we've got carburetors with bits and pieces that haven't been put back in. I think sometimes we have custard without the sugar and we have mockers without the mocha. We just have a missing ingredient. And that missing ingredient this morning, are you ready? It's called love. Who said sugar? Right, it's called love. Listen, our foundation, our missing ingredient, it has to be love. Whatever we build must have at the very heart of the motive, love, not love for self, but a love for others and a love for God. So today I wanna give you three reasons, really, really quickly, I wanna give you three reasons to develop the foundation for love, to to the three reasons to find the missing ingredient of love in your life. And, um, and here you go. I, I don't want to be. I want to be careful when I say this. I, I don't want to be cliched when I say it. But, but can we just boil it down to my illustrations of, of recipes this morning? And, and one of the reasons that you should put love into your Christian experience in a greater and greater measure, it, it's really simple. Number one is it's a command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a look. If you feel like putting this into your Christian experience, it'll probably go good. No, no, no. It's actually a command. In the same chapter where Jesus washed his feet and girded himself in a towel and dried their feet, he also says to them in John 3, 13, uh, sorry, John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment. So they've got all these commandments. They've got 10 commandments from the law of Moses. They've got 613 commandments as they go through the mikvahs. But they come and he says to them, I'm going to give you a new commandment, just one new commandment. I'm going to give it to you this morning that you love one another. 
as I have loved you, you should love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I want you to get that this morning because he didn't say by this if you speak in tongues, which is pretty cool, but he didn't say it. He didn't say by this if you lay hands on the sick and they recover, then all well know that you're my disciple. He didn't say if you have your theology accurate, all will know you're my disciple. They didn't say if you pray for an hour a day, all will know. He said, no, no, this is how everybody's going to know that you are my disciple if you have love. And without that, can I suggest that no one will know you're his disciple? Even if you prayed and even if you went to church and even if you read your Bible and even if you could lay hands on the sick and even if you could shandara bandara with the best of them, nobody will know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower conformed to becoming like him without love. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi once famously said, I like your Christ. It's your Christians I do not like. Your Christians are so unlike the Christ. In fact, if you were to ask the average person on the street, what springs to mind when I say Christian? Can you imagine asking one of your work colleagues that? One of your friends or family who don't come to church? What springs to mind when I say Christian? What sort of answers do you think you might get? I'll tell you what you possibly would get. Bigot, hypocrite, judgmental angry. I mean, there's probably loads in there, isn't there? But I would say one of the sad truths is very low down on that list would be love. Yet Jesus says in his commandments, I give you a new commandment by this. This is how everyone's going to know that you're my disciple if you have love for each other. What a missing ingredient we have this morning in our communities, in our marriages, in our ministries, what does it look like when we're lacking love? Not only is it a command to love each other, but it's actually a command, you know, Jesus goes further. He says, not only a command to love each other, it's a command to love your enemies. Matthew 5, says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Can, you. can I just read that again to you? Is that okay? This is what Jesus said you must have. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now, you know, when Jesus is talking this, he is not talking this in like this sterile environment. He's not talking about this in a sort of church building. He's talking about this in a country that's occupied by Rome, who are their enemies. And so he's talking about this from first-hand experience. And he literally turns to them and says, love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless them. Love them. Minister to them. Do everything you can to help them and be kind to them. Does that not blow your mind? Church, it's not a suggestion. It's not even a good idea. It's a God idea. He says, love those who are mean to you. Love those who speak about you poorly. Love those who deny you. Love those who mock you. Love everyone. And then as we walk in this love, everyone's going to start to go, what is it about them that's different? What is it about them that seems to make their light shine a little bit brighter? Anyone can love those who give you good things and are always nice to you, but Jesus said, love your enemies. As Christians, we're called to follow Christ and his example 
And perhaps one of, the, one of the reasons the world doesn't recognize us as disciples is because this love is lacking. I feel like it's one of those funny moments this morning as we contemplate the concepts of ingredients. And as I think about it, I think, can you imagine if we thought we knew better than the baker who designed the recipe for the cake? And we kind of look at it and we go, well, I put this in, I put that in, I put a bit of this in, but it says this, and I just don't feel like doing that today. You know, like I was going to, but I just decided, nah, I'm not going to put that in anymore. So that's going to sit on the sideline. And then we wonder when we take our cake to our neighbors to say, would you like some? They take a mouthful and go, ugh. Are you following me this morning? Can you see how when we decide we're not going to love, how that affects the flavor that goes right across the world? And it's his recipe to love one another. What does this love look like? Here's another thought, you know. Even in the church, sometimes we fail to follow this command. We, we ask questions like, how will the church love me? When will somebody be nice to me? And I'm not talking about babes. I think when you come in to get to know Jesus early on in your walk, absolutely, you come in looking for what the church can do for you. But how many people know that babes shouldn't stay babes? And at some point, you stop looking for what the church can do for you and you start asking, what can I do to love them? In fact, I've been a Christian for a number of years now and, you know, I've read the Bible pretty thoroughly. I could be wrong and I'm open to be wrong. But when I read through the scriptures from Genesis right through to Revelations, you know, I've never found a single passage or scripture that says, get people to love you. It always says that I should just love them. It doesn't even say love those who are nice. It says love everybody, everyone. And then if you weren't sure, what about those who don't like me? Yes, them. What about those who are mean to me? Yes, also them. What about those who spit on me? Yes, love them. What about those who curse me behind my back? Yes, you should also love them. Are you getting, when we look to Jesus as the example of love and we go like, you know, what does that love look like? Let me give you a scripture. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another, John 15, 12 and 13, as I have loved you. And then he goes on, he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know what love causes you to do? You know how you know you've got love? Because you lay down your life. Because you lay down your rights. You lay down your rights. You, you lay them down. And you say, I'm going to love you in spite of the way you treat me. All right. Number one, it's a command. Number two, it demonstrates your father's heart. <clears throat> I was trying to work out how to illustrate this with the, with the cooking. You know, do you remember, what, what's the famous packet of, and I couldn't remember the name of the famous, the famous packet of cake. You know, can someone tell me? A, a, white, wings. white wings. Thank you so much. White wings designs the cake and they write down the recipe. And if you don't cook it according to their recipe, then you don't have a white wings cake. You have something, it's just not a white wings cake. And I love this because... You know what? Love shows that it's a far, love shows or demonstrates your father's heart. My desire is that people would be drawn to my father in heaven. My desire is that people would see me and see the way I treat people who love me and people who don't like me. I'm not looking left or right. I'm just, and they would see Christ. And out of seeing Christ, they would want to know Jesus and they'd want to know their heavenly father. And here's the funny thing. If God writes a recipe 
and we want people to enjoy this, then we need to stop altering the recipe. When we put love into the mix of our Christianity, do you know what it does? It, it produces something that people want to experience and taste. You know the scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? Because I think it's mixed with love. It mixes in with the love, the way we communicate, the way we behave, our actions, our attitudes, all of these mixed together. And when we share that with somebody, they're like, man, I, I like what he has to offer. Number three. Number one, it's a command. Number two, it shows your father's heart. And number three, it brings a reward. This is a bit where everyone should get excited, like there's going to be a reward. Zig Ziglar said this. He said, you can have anything in life you want if you would just help other people get what they want. That's pretty cool. Zig Ziglar is like one of these multi, you know, just this kind of business leader, talks to the multi-billionaires and helps shape things. He says, you can have anything in life you want if you just help enough people get what they want. Can I just boil that down and give it to you in another language? He says, you can have anything you want if you just love people enough. And as you love people enough, you'd be amazed how many doors are opening up. And I'm just going to push for a second because I can already feel the resistance but can we just pull back for a second? How many people do you think miss out on promotions because they don't have love? How many think, people do you think they turn up in the business and they're always fighting for their rights and they're always arguing with the boss and they're always arguing with the other employees and then it comes to promotion time and then they're real disappointed that they got overlooked and you ask why and you go, because you're a scumbag, mate. Well, of course you don't say that. But you, are you following me this morning? How many people's marriages are ruined because one decides to be a right fighter and the other one doesn't? How many people miss out on blessings in their life because they don't have love? But if I can go a little further, because like Zig Ziglar's cool, but I think Jesus is better. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.46, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? If you love those who only love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? I want to go beyond just getting stuff. I, I think stuff is cool, but I think there's a greater reward we can experience. I'm going to ask you to turn or watch to John 14, 21. And Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Perhaps one of the reasons we lack God's presence is because we lack the love that God wants us to show to other people. If I go down to John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Another, another translation says he will keep my commands. And what command is it? That you love one another. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Church, love brings a reward that goes far beyond just material possessions. In fact, God says that when you love, when you obey my commands and you love one another, do you know what? I'm going to come and I'm going to make my home with you. I'm not just going to come and visit I'm going to come and abide with you. I can't help but think if I want more of him in my life, and we shared it around the um, prayer morning, prayer this morning, but if I want more of him, I need to make more room in my life. 
And one of the ways that I can make more room for him to come and enter in is to love more. And one of the ways I can love more is to deal with the stuff that stops me from loving people. Leonardo da Vinci painted the famous painting, The Last Supper. And it's been said it took more than four years to complete the painting. And one of the reasons the painting took four years to complete was that da Vinci had had a bitter argument with a fellow artist and despised him. And when da Vinci painted the face of Judas, I actually do like this story, by the way. When da Vinci painted the face of Judas, he painted the other guy's face into Judas. It's like, that's the ultimate gotcha, isn't it? Like, he'd had an argument with another painter, and so when he's painting the Last Supper, and he's going to paint the guy who betrayed Jesus the most, he paints Judas's face as that guy. So that forevermore, when anybody looked at that painting, they'd be like, ooh, ooh, that's for me. I'm just like, that's a gotcha. That is so good. The problem was he could never paint the rest of the painting. And every time he came to paint the face of Jesus, he was never satisfied with what he was painting. And over time, the story says that over time he realized that part of the reasons was he was holding bitterness in his heart towards someone else. And so he repainted the face of Judas. And and as he repainted the face of Judas, he began to see more clearly the face of Jesus. That's a great story, isn't it? I wonder how many people recognize that when we're bitter towards somebody, we actually obscure the face of Jesus in our life. I wonder how many people recognize that when we're hanging on to hurt towards somebody else, what we actually do is rob ourselves of the reward of his presence in our life. What would it look like if we just decided, man, I'm just going to love as Jesus loved. I'm going to just love unconditionally. I wonder how often we feel dry, separated from him. And we, has anyone ever, and don't put your hand up for this maybe, but has anyone ever felt dry and separated from him? Has anyone kind of felt like, man, I just don't sense his presence? And if you're anything like me, you know, you do, we do some crazy things, don't we? You know, we, we're like, okay, I'm going to set my alarm for four o'clock in the morning. I'm going to spend an extra hour in the word. And we go on a little bit further and we're like, you know what? I'm going to pray even more than I've ever prayed before. And maybe I'm going to do this or maybe I'm going to do that. But has anyone, can I just suggest maybe this is for someone this morning. But maybe the way to stop obscuring the face of Jesus in your own life is to deal with the hurts and offenses. Maybe the way to sense his presence closer to you is to actually start loving someone else. What? would it look like? Just take a minute this morning. What would it feel like for you right here today if you just began to love somebody the way Jesus loves? Do you think that would open up a space in your heart? Do you you think if you started to, I can see the teams coming back up, but do you think if you started to go, man, I just want to love people the way Jesus loves people, do you think he might move into that space in your own life? Can you feel that this morning? I just want to press this a little bit. Because I think sometimes we go through a whole heap of upping the ante on our works, upping the ante on our prayer and our reading the word, and all those things are great. But I actually think the missing ingredient for so many people is we just don't love the way Jesus loved. We have a a little bit of sugar in our custard, but we didn't really follow the recipe. 
You know, we, we sort of put a bit in and we thought, oh, that'll do. You know, like I've kind of loved Patrick a bit. But let's be honest, the guy's pretty annoying. So I'm not going to love him totally. Just picking on Patrick. You know, yesterday, I just want to brag on him for a minute. After doing the, the retaining walls of the tears in the garden, Patrick went home with David and then he decided he still had some energy. So he made David bring him back up so he could keep putting bark onto the garden. You know... What I really love about Patrick, what I love about people like Peter, what I love about people is when they serve in secret and they're just loving this congregation and just loving you guys so that you can come to grass that's mowed and you can come to tiered gardens and you can come to wonderful worship and, and all the other things that go together. But all of these things work as love comes out of our hearts. And I'm going to pray for people like Patrick and Peter and different people. That you know what? It's as we love each other that his presence fills us. Can I tell you, one time I was vacuuming the floors here late at night and everyone's gone home. We've done the carols. It's one o'clock in the morning. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And I just am vacuuming the floors. And as I'm vacuuming the floors, I just feel this overwhelming sense of his love resting on my life. Because I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm just doing it in that sense for everyone, but I'm doing it for him. What would your life look like? How would you experience the presence of God more? What reward would love bring into your life if you would just start to love? I feel like sometimes for some people, there's this line and they're like happy to go up to it. I wanna encourage you today, just cross it. Cross the line. Love somebody selflessly. Don't wait for them to love you. Don't wait for them to do something nice to you. Just Step across the line and love them. Turn up to somebody's house and mow their yard. Walk over to them and buy them a coffee at the cafe. Pay for somebody's grocery. What would it look like? And just what would it look like if this church decided to just love not only each other but their community? And when we stood in McDonald's or we stood at a coffee, we went, I'm gonna pay for mine, but I'm also gonna pay for the person behind me. What would it look like? What would it look like if we said, I'm doing this because I really believe God is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's told me to incorporate that ingredient of love into my life. You know, church, I think we'd change our entire community. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We really hope you guys enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we hope you have an amazing week. See you next week.